Welcome to This Week Next Week from Group M. I'm Brian Weezer. I'm Kate Scott Dawkins. And I'm super happy to be here. It's Christian Jewell. Who? <laughs> Don't joke. We all know Christian Jewell, global CEO of Group N. Fantastic to have you here, Christian. We're going to have lots of fun questions for you in this uh, edition, this special, special edition of This Week Next Week. Uh, but first of all, um, there's so much going on. Oh my God, Kate, have you had a busier week of just news flow in the last, I don't know, all three months at least? Uh, lots of late nights catching up on earnings results, yeah. Oh my God, there's so much. I mean, the biggest sellers of advertising on the planet. I mean, this is like, if we had a Super Bowl, like this would be it, sort of, right? I mean, a nerdy, a very nerdy Super Bowl. In that case, Ryan, who won the Super Bowl this time around? Ooh, good question. Ironically, no, I don't think it was Facebook. You, no. you think it was they might have, they might have, because relative to expectations, they actually, that's why their stock was up so much. You're probably the kind of person who roots for the Patriots, though. <laughs> the Patriots, is that a hockey team? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, see what I have to deal with every week, Christian? <laughs> we spend a lot of time thinking about sports ball here on This Week, Next Week. Um, you are a fan of the uh, the Giants of San Francisco, I understand. All right. Three-time world champions over a five-year period. Never that's been done. impressive, right? That is very impressive. You know, also that they won the World Series with only one team outside the United States. There's some question about how global that sport really is. Exactly. And as a Canadian uh, by birth, of course, the only team that really matters is the Montreal Expos. <laughs> oh, man. Well, they're having a great season, uh, which is, I think, you know, Maybe even more so than what we can say for some of the results we saw. Well, expected, but expected deceleration out of some of the largest advertising sellers uh, this quarter. Can I do a little bit of definition game here? Um, deceleration is not the same as decline. Are we are we all clear about that? Everyone here clear? Okay, listeners, are you clear? You're clear. Please go to uh, Merriam-Webster to check on that. We've heard from a lot of people. A lot of people, and I hear this, I see it everywhere, a conflation of the two things. Um, the fact is that last year was ridiculous, unsustainable in terms of its growth. 40 plus percent probably growth of digital advertising last year. Would, would you like to get 40% digital growth, Kate? Would you Would you think that's an impressive number? That's a big number. Christian, would you, would you like 40% growth? Well, I think Group M benefited from the growth, right? I mean, with you know almost half our billings coming out of the digital side, you know, I think one of the arguments you could make is, you know, we track some of these digital behemoths uh, pretty closely, not at the same rates, but you know, I think if you look at our rate of growth for Q1, it was uh, faster than Facebook's this time, and um, you know, tracking closer to, to the Google side, and you know, we'd always love to see Group M help drive WPP into a, a growth stock, um, and I think you know, so far we're doing our job. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Why don't we hit on that, by the way? Since you're here, we're here. We we also had some really big announcements last week. I mean, for those listening, and and to be clear, we have a lot of uh, we have fans in the investment community. We have, I think, there's some clients who hear fans. There, there's others who are out there. What exactly was it that we said that you said that we did last week? That I said that you said that we said. Yeah. Well, you said it. <laughs> Um, well, we did. We made some big moves. Um, you know, we had already announced Choreograph, but then, you know, we're expanding and kind of supercharging what was the Group M services and rebranding that as Nexus and bringing in 
our addressable television company and uh, some of the technology from Zaxxis to move over to that and create this organization, Nexus, which you know is really 9,000 performance marketing professionals. We have the largest performance marketing organization in the world, uh, enabling our agencies to go and even put better strategies and multi-channel planning and you know, deliver across all of their needs. Um, so I think it's, it's a really strong move for us. I'm excited by taking Copilot and expanding that across other addressable media types so that we can really start to use power of AI and machine learning to optimize our campaigns. I'm hoping that is going to enable our agencies to go to clients and really start talking about outcomes-based planning and helping them really focus on what sort of objectives they want their marketing to achieve and then using you know the Copilot tech to help them reach those faster and, and more efficiently. And then of course, you know, creating the Essence Mediacom uh, company and, you know, really trying to simplify that structure. And I just, I love that marriage for a lot of reasons, but, you know, I think I've been on record talking about the fact that clients don't have to choose between digital specialty and boutique and, and large globally scaled multi-channel companies now. And, you know, I'm really excited that Kyoko is moving to Japan and gonna be the CEO of WPP Japan such an important media market for us um, and to have you know her expertise there and looking out for group m and our interests across all of apac i think will really really help us there um, and then you know i think for the people of, of essence mediacom it's just an incredible opportunity you know you're going to join one of our largest networks um, you know it's ten thousand people it's 25 billion dollars in billings i expect them to you know continue both of their success that they've already enjoyed in terms of new business and winning but I think they have a chance to create a culture that's going to be, you know, neither Essence nor Medicom, but something new and something really exciting. And um, the capability they're going to bring to the market is, is just phenomenal. And, you know, so much of Essence blueprinted into Nexus, right? So the search and the social and programmatic playbooks really came out of a lot of what Essence had created. So I think what you potentially have as well is sort of the power user of Nexus and choreograph to really work with some um, leading edge clients. And then on the client side, you know, I talk about a lot of reasons, but they already share Mars, they already share Google, they already, you know, share Uber. And I think those clients all aspire to, to be the very best in their industry, certainly in marketing. And I think uh, we're giving those clients a pretty fun toolkit to dig into. Are they going to be better positioned to go talk to Elon Musk about uh, what he's going to do with Twitter or not? You know, I, I've been DMing uh, Elon, and sad to say, as powerful as I think Group M is, I just haven't gotten the response I was looking for yet. So, <laughs> I, um, I don't know, maybe he's not impressed with my 105 followers on Twitter. So, maybe I need to up <laughs> that game. Maybe if we had a marketing team that could help me a little bit. Um, you need a better meme. I think I need to, like, at marketing Group M, help me, or something like that. Are you uh, asking him for anything in specific? Is there anything you would like to see? I mean, in the scenario where he does take over Twitter, someone with um, you know clients in your ear that you would ask for him to do? Well, look, I think on the Twitter piece, you know, who knows what's really going to happen here. Um, but, you know, what I would like to see, whether Elon does it or not across Twitter is broadening the platform, make it more user friendly, make it easier to find things. It's always been a bit of a sort of, uh, what's the, the right word for it? But you've had to kind of be in the end to know how to use Twitter well and to gain followers. And, you know, and then it's kind of come to a celebrity mouthpiece platform. And, you know, I think it can be more. And, you know, I remember meeting with Dick Costello back a long time ago. And, you know, he really talked about it being a platform for free speech and a platform where, you know, you, you could see the birth of democracy spawning. And it was really powerful. And now it feels a little bit of a, 
I don't know exactly what. And I think that's the problem is you need to say, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, it's hard for brands to really get involved and engaged and make meaningful connections with consumers. And I think if he could broaden the appeal, if we could figure out a way to make tweets less intimidating, get regular people to start participating on the platform again, um, I think you do have a real problem with, you know, trolling and bad behavior. And I don't know, you know, what the answer, I don't, I don't believe the answer is open it up and just let anybody say whatever they want on it. Um, but I do think, you know, it's, there's been a lot written, you know, about it being so sort of generally the censoring on it comes, you know, at the expense of, of the more conservative side of the conversation in the world. I don't think you can have that either. Um, so I do think there's something around, you know, opening this up, making appeal more broadening, making it easier to use, to explore, to find things. I mean, I don't know how long did it take him to let you even just start posting pictures and videos. I mean, it was like Craigslist forever. And I think we just got to find a way to make it better. I wanted to pick up on another thread if I if I could, because you you mentioned AI and talking about um, Nexus and, and what we're hoping to do more of for clients. Um, there's also a main feature of uh, a lot of earnings calls. I mean, Facebook and and Google or Alphabet mentioned it heavily. Um, is that something that you're hearing as a request from clients or is that more of a get out ahead of it because we know that's where the industry is headed? I think clients are intrigued, right? I think that it's been one of the secret sauce, um, secret sauces of, of Zaxxis, you know, for some time. And I think that, you know, we have work to do to show that we can extend it you know, beyond the DSPs we've worked with. I think there's some question about, you know, how much Google and others are going to let us into their stack in order to, you know, start optimizing. I mean, Google doesn't even want you really optimizing across Google, no less using AI and machine learning to optimize across the entire ecosystem and bringing in, you know, addressable television and SVOD and, you know, digital out of home and all these other areas that we aspire to be able to move into with this type of technology. You know, we've got some, um, some convincing to do, I would say, on the supply side. And so I think clients look at that and go, well, you know, yes, I want to do it, but are you really going to be able to do it? And, you know, we've got really, really smart people working on it. Um, I'm confident they'll get there. I don't think all of our media partners will join in, but I think we can reward the ones heavily who do. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, media has got to earn its place. And I think it's up to us to make sure that we shape the dollars to reward those that do. And, you know, our clients want us to spend the money where it works and we can define what working means in a lot of different ways. And, you know, part of that's our you know, kind of sustainable media commitment and um, things we look up data ethics and sustainability and responsible journalism. But, um, you know, ultimately clients want to build brands and sell products and it's up to us to, to shape the spend into those areas. Well put. Uh, so just going back to some of the uh, results this week, where I think, uh, again, this this was quite a week. Here's a narrative that I've come to realize the world should be appreciating. The Facebook results where they said, okay, 10% constant currency growth in advertising. Um, basically, that's kind of where I thought they'd come out when they gave guidance uh, in the last quarter. So not a surprise. But what was really interesting was that in the post-call calls, not the original earnings call, but the post-call call, which a transcript's available on their website, Basically, they made it much clearer that the big problem for them was deceleration in e-commerce and e-commerce related advertising. And at the same time, 
we then saw results from Amazon where they're especially North America growth in online retail sales, but generally speaking, their overall uh, growth in my estimated growth merchandising of, of value was really, really slow. And in both cases, you had these really, really difficult comparables. And that the big thing going on right now is just a deceleration in those two companies in particular because of really difficult comparables, right? Anyways, this is the narrative that I'm thinking should be dominating how we're thinking about what's going on, not the changes from Apple, not competition from TikTok uh, or anything else. It's still a growthy market. It's just if you're exposed to e-commerce right now, as those two companies are, you saw more of an impact and Google can still grow north of 20% and Microsoft can still go north of 20% for their advertising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do you guys think? So you're a buyer is what you're telling me. I'm saying the impact and interpretation that what's been going on has been overstated. I did think it was notable then that Google pointed to strength of retail in terms of how their Q1 netted out. Um, so they posted, you know, 20% um, and, and definitely called out retail as one of the areas that was, uh, you know, strong for them in Q1. Yeah. Well, it could be share gains too. That's a really difficult yeah. thing to uh, to interpret here. Um, at the end of the day, though, you know, again, we can point to, you know, if we if we ended up this year with high teens growth in digital advertising, and we end up this year with call it flattish television growth, you have decline in other media. You flattish get growth? Are, you, are you thinking you're going to hold inflation on television rates? Well, let's hit on that. I think that inflation as a major issue, again, we still keep seeing these, you know, high single digit numbers come Germany printed uh, whatever 40 year or 60 year, whatever record high for inflation as we've seen in the US, the UK, everywhere else. Right. Yeah. That supports the growth, though, don't you think? Uh, well, I think there's a difference between inflation and actual growth of viewers, right? We're not saying TV's, TV is one of those odd things where we continue to pay more for less each year. And, you know, at some point that'll change. But, you know, it's one of those things that you would, I always think logically, you'd think it would be cheaper the fewer people were doing it, but it actually moves the opposite way because the actual viewers become more and more scarce. Um, and so you do pay you more. Agree make, but do you agree we make bad choices or, or sometimes a bad choice is made because it's better than the alternative of a worse one? You're saying television's the, the best of the worst? Winston Churchill, little known fact, he was a media planner. Have we, have we mentioned this on the podcast before? Yeah. I don't know, but I or at least have. I've I heard it. She's going to blow your mind because here is by my desk. A bus oh, my God. Winston it's Churchill. Churchill himself. All right. Winston here. Little known fact, Winston Churchill was a media planner in the 1950s and in between the prime ministerships, I think. And what he observed at the time was television was the worst form of advertising, except for all those others which have been tried. Is this podcast, are you going to cover on the Gutenberg printing press next? Oh, <laughs> we get there. We get there. But the point is, it was the democracy and government, for those who don't know the quote. Uh, the point is uh, that sometimes choices are made because, not because they're good or bad, but because they're better than the next best alternative. Advertisers buy television because they need it. They want it. They want it what it does. It might be worse than it otherwise could have been, but it's still better than the next best alternative. I don't disagree. I mean, look, television is still a great place to reach a lot of people and live events are still great. And look, we opened this up by talking about sport. And, you know, I think the idea of television is always something that we just got to challenge. I think we should be talking about video. I don't think it's necessarily television. I think you should be talking about live events and experience. And 
the sooner we can kind of broaden that and what we're seeing with, you know, premium video online and, um, you know, Netflix taking on advertising. It just, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about the future to be able to connect brands and consumers in, in new and interesting ways. And I think, you know, TV is, uh, is, is an odd construct. And I think, you know, what you're seeing right now in the growth of the U.S. platforms really going out and expanding globally, you know, it's a product of the internet and technology enabling new viewing experiences. And, you know, I think that that's exciting. It's exciting for our industry. It's going to be exciting for brands to be able to reach people in new ways. And, you know, we haven't even done enough time today, but even looking at metaverse and virtual experiences and all these different ways are, um, it's an exciting time to be in media. All this talk about television is a good segue uh, to a conversation that Kate had. Do you want to tee this up? That's right. Yeah. So last week, uh, Brian spoke to a couple of our colleagues here in the U.S. about how upfronts work. Um, but we know that uh, the U.S. is, you know, only a portion of the global media industry. And so uh, I sat down with uh, Seb Rennie, who is currently chief investment officer in Australia, um, but previously held that role in, in Canada. And we talked a little bit about basically how media buying works in those markets, um, which is a bit different to how we do the upfronts here. I'm here today with Seb Rennie, who is the Chief Investment Officer of Group M Australia. Welcome, Seb, to the pod. Hi, Kate. Thanks very much for having me. Maybe you can just give us a, a, a background on um, where you've spent the last few years and um, you know what you've been doing in that in that world of media buying. Yeah, sure. So I've I've worked in Australia since about 2000. I'm from the UK originally. Um, did a couple of years in media before I moved over to Australia. Um, in 2015, I took on the the chief investment officer role at Group M Australia. Um, and then in 2018, I moved over to Canada and I did the same role uh, for Group M there. Um, and I returned to Australia about a year ago. So um, happy to chat through Canada and Australia from a buying perspective. And how how does it work there? I mean, you guys don't have upfronts. So what's the process like um, for those people who are maybe only familiar with how it works in the US? Yeah, sure. So I thought I might just sort of give an overview of the ownership structure and the landscape of the broadcasters, because I think that gives a bit of context for how each market works. And then I can sort of talk about how the mechanics of the of the market operate. So there's there's quite a lot of similarities between Canada and Australia. Um, there's highly concentrated broadcast media ownership. So there's there's sort of three or four major players in each market. Um, the networks in both countries have multimedia offerings, so a, a minimum TV and digital. But um, through acquisitions or developments of their own content distribution platforms, they might represent out of home radio publishing. So they're quite big multimedia organisations that we're dealing with. Um, most of the broadcasters are listed on their local stock exchanges um, and both countries have government affiliated broadcasters in CBC and SBS that both carry advertising. Um, the big difference between Canada and Australia is in Canada, you've got Bell and Rogers, who are both vertically integrated into much, much larger telecommunications companies. Um, and those media divisions represent about eight to 10 percent of the total company revenue. Whereas the likes of Chorus in Canada and Seven and Ten um, and Nine in Australia, their revenue is nearly all generated from ad sales. Um, and that creates an interesting dynamic because they've got much more exposure to the advertising market 
and in turn a desire or a need to keep pushing innovation given the global competitors that are impacting the local media business. They've got to be innovating somewhere. It's certainly not with their names like uh, seven and nine. No, well, that's the old um, the old sort of history from when they first were given their broadcast licenses. So there's always a bit of history to why those names came around. And as you get into the coding of TV stations, you kind of understand the history of how all those that how the networks of today were built from individual stations of, of yesterday. Now, when I was uh, working on the AI report for the next 10, I had a chat. Um, to some folks who, is, who are part of Finecast or, or buying in Australia, and they were saying that actually there's quite a bit of inventory in Australia that is available for um, buying programmatically. Is that is that accurate? And why is that market further ahead than some others? Yeah, so I think um, a lot of the Australian broadcasters jumped into um, the opportunity to, to deliver their content via di- different di- distribution platforms. They were they are facing the headwinds that a lot of linear audiences and, and broadcasters have faced around the world with declining audiences through fragmentation and, and the explosion of streaming options. Um, and they wanted to make sure that they had an offering that would try and hold that audience as best as possible um, across both linear and, and digitally delivered um, content. So I guess the, the we, we call it BVOD down here, broadcaster video on demand, and the BVOD market really started to, to gain traction probably three or four years ago. Um, and the opportunity to purchase it programmatically was was really brought in at its inception. So that programmatic um, transaction has been part of the BVOD marketplace. Um, really since it began. And I think um, one of the other things that the networks have done quite well is they require all of the viewers to sign in to um, to access that inventory. And within there, they capture some broad demographic and, and, and geographic um, identifiers. And as a consequence, we've been able to use that to assist in targeting, which has been really great from a programmatic perspective. Okay. Um, so talk us through, again, we, we heard last week with the upfronts, there's this opportunity to sort of bulk buy at the start and make sure you're you're guaranteeing that your brand is going to be seen in the programs that you're interested in. How does how is it different? Are you just uh, you know buying throughout the year as in when you you need it uh, in these markets or what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's slightly different. So um, in Canada, they've got three distinct buying periods and, and they're kind of like mini upfronts. Um, and really, you want to get your your buys laid down before that that system opens, and that really gives you the opportunity to make sure you secure your programming and you gain access to you know the best the best inventory that you want to secure. In Australia, it's slightly different. It's a little bit more ad hoc. There's no advanced buying deadline or upfront per se. Um, it's it's really traded on a first come first serve basis. Now, the market dynamic means that once the airtime's gone, it's gone. So the earlier you book, generally the better access and the the, the better access to the inventory. And from that, you can manage your exposure to price as well, because each spot is sold with a capital cost attached to it. And then we negotiate a discount. So you kind of construct your schedule through a variety of lots of different individual spots and that's how you manage your your sort of exposure to cost but also build your reach and how you want to reach your audience effectively and how is that changing is that changing with uh more of this programmatic ctv or bvod buying happening 
Yeah, so as we, so, I mean, if I look at it from a linear perspective, we used to have three main stations and then each each network broadened out. So they've got secondary or tertiary stations that that reach slightly different discrete audiences. Um, the, the volume of spots that we were buying just became unmanageable. So we started moving sort of automated trading where we were generally secure, agreeing on a cost per thousand and that, that cost per thousand is guaranteed. Um, the prime time um, big shows are still traded on a spot by spot basis. And, and I think that's probably a fairly common dynamic around the world. Um, so that automation in linears has, has sort of seen, we've seen a higher amount of, of dollars transacted that way over the years. Um, and as we're moving towards um, a common measurement currency across both um, BVOD and linear, so there's the, the local ratings provider, OzTam, have created something called VOZ. In Canada, they've created, uh, Numeris has created something called uh, VAM, I think it is. And we're just working towards being able to transact on those joined up audiences. So we think towards the end of this year in Australia, we'll be able to transact, transact on a combined audience. And I think then we'll start to see a much more sort of fluid movement between linear and, and BVOD in, in the way that we um, allocate our expenditure. How about uh, newer players in terms of a, a YouTube TV or I mean, we're not sure Netflix is going to happen, so I'm not going to draw them into this yet. But um, how are you seeing the future play out in terms of maybe newer um uh, newer channels or or like a YouTube being bought alongside TV. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I mean, we've got a number of advertisers at the moment that that don't really differentiate between YouTube and, and broadcast um, content. We've got some that do see a big distinct difference. So certainly um, we do a lot of work around cross premium planning to make sure that we can optimise the investment levels around reach. Um, but from a, you know, if I take, if I step aside from YouTube from the second, we've got the BVOD marketplace, which, or the BVOD market, which kind of covers the, the traditional broadcasters, but we've got lots, lots of TV-like experiences available. So we've got Samsung TV here, LG TV's launched, um, Optus is one of the telcos here. They've secured the rights to the Premier League and they're broadening their sporting opportunities. So um, the supply in those environments is growing and, and certainly is attractive to advertisers. Um, what's interesting, though, is um, that the models that some of the broadcasters bring to Australia are slightly different. So Paramount Plus in the US, I believe, has got an ad funded component to it, whereas here it's just a subscription only. So there's no advertising in Paramount Plus. Um, but we are expecting um, Paramount to launch Pluto TV later this year or early the year after. So it's it's certainly a growing space and we're, we're seeing the supply um, in, in the CTV environment broaden out. Um, and certainly YouTube, um, you know, they've got components of their inventory that, that absolutely represent TV-like experiences, probably not the same scale as some of the other players, not as pure play, um, but certainly lots of lots of interest from advertisers there too. Are you seeing sort of similar uh, inventory concerns around um, you know, maybe ages, uh, demographics that aren't watching TV as often or um, places where they're reducing ad loads on, on linear? Is that something that you're also watching in Australia? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the, the sort of changing dynamic of how various demographics consume broadcast content is absolutely at the forefront of our thinking. Um, we've got, you know, traditionally our networks were, we had a younger network and two slightly older networks. 
that dynamic still plays out because their content still broadly appeals to those audiences. But certainly from a distribution perspective, um, it's probably not as cliched as young people are streaming and old people are watching linear. There's a little bit more nuance to it. Um, but we are we are sort of keenly watching how those audience dynamics change and, and the, the addition of um, measurement of those audiences or things like VOZ really help to identify what, where the demographic mix sits. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch because, as I said, the, the sort of the old cliched view of young stream, old linear, that's that's not really the case. So there's a bit more nuance to it. That is fascinating. Um, well, thank you so much. Anything else you think our, our listeners or investors, uh, clients should take away, should understand about the markets there? Um, look, I think both uh, both markets are, are really strong, really interesting markets. You know, they're both top 10 markets from an advertising perspective. I think there's a lot of opportunity in both of them because whilst we perhaps don't have the scale of the US, the UK or Germany or China, um, we do have scale here, and I think we've got an opportunity to do some really good innovation in both markets. Awesome. Um, and just because it'll kill our showrunner, who's a Kiwi supporter, congrats to your women's cricket team uh, on their <laughs> winning of the World Cup this year. Thank you very much. Thanks, Seb. So that's two sports ball references in this uh, episode, Brian. <laughs> I love me some sports ball. And I love learning about international television. Oh, my God. I'm always so fascinated to learn about the differences in different markets because you, you grow up learning one and it turns out there's there's different ways of doing the same thing elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's been a very uh, educational last couple of weeks, again, from someone who is, uh, you know, much more versed on the digital side and and getting to understand how stuff works across um, the upfronts and other markets. Indeed. So what's coming up next week as far as you're concerned? Uh, more earnings, I think, right? Um, we've still got a busy couple of weeks ahead in terms of um, getting all our numbers together from all the media owners globally. Those will be feeding into this year, next year. And lots of ad tech too. I think uh, understanding how they're adapting and evolving, um, we'll get a lot of news from them. Um, boy, there's just, it's just it's, this is the deluge week or two for our business. Every quarter. <laughs> Every quarter. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks, Christian, so much for for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I hope you'll have me back. I, uh, it's enjoyable to sit here and kind of chat back and forth. And Brian, um, I always appreciate the history lesson. Always impressive. And Kate, your financial analysis is quite astute. And um, I'll be uh, figuring out how to how to find this podcast. Which one of our esteemed media partners is distributing this for us? Uh, you can get it on uh, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Wonderful. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks again for joining us here on This Week Next Week. This week, next week is hosted by me, Kate Scott Dawkins, and Brian Weezer. Our producer is Jared Bayman. Our showrunner is Sam Weston. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of Group M or its clients. If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com. Mm-hmm.